see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Good day. Welcome to another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You're listening to us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today on the program, we focus on the utility or the African Utility Week that gets underway uh, this week, uh, bringing together renewable experts to discuss how wind and solar energy can solve Africa's energy demands, but also looking at uh, just the energy industry overall. But before that, let's get our news. In the headlines, Belgium suspends aid to Burundi after pre-election unrest. Armed groups in the Central African Republic sign a deal to disarm and Libyan migrants face cruelty and abuse while trying to reach Europe. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. East African leaders will hold a summit in Tanzania on Wednesday aimed at breaking the political deadlock in Burundi. 19 people have been killed in protests against President Pien Kurunziza's bid for a third term. Opponents say a third term violates the constitution and the peace deal that ended the civil war in 2005. The United States at the weekend threatened sanctions on anyone involved in violence in Burundi against those protesting against the president's bid for a third term. The U.S. also expressed alarm at the spread of weapons among youth militia loyal to Hunkurunziza. Liberia's Ebola Free, the World Health Organization, says the Ebola epidemic in Liberia has come to an end and has praised the West African country for its monumental achievement in becoming Ebola free. The virus killed more than 4,700 people in Liberia at the peak of transmission during August and September last year. The country was reporting 300 to 400 new cases every week. Migrants in Libya face horrific abuse, driving them to risk their lives to try to reach Europe. Amnesty International is urging the European Union to deploy more rescue vessels in the Mediterranean while tackling smugglers at the same time. A report based on dozens of interview recounts stories of abduction, torture and rape. It comes as Libya earlier said it would reject the European Union attempt to secure United Nations backing for the use of military force against people traffickers in the Mediterranean. 
the democratic, the, rather the democracy development program in South Africa, says the recent spate of xenophobic attacks in the country has left open wounds, which all South Africans need to deal with. The NGO has now endeavoured to bridge the gap between foreign nationals and locals by hosting a forum which would stimulate dialogue and create a deeper social understanding among all South Africans towards their African counterparts. The organization's executive director, Rama Nadu, says it's time South Africans answered difficult questions about their own ideals. There's a lot more than meets the eye about the xenophobic attacks. And the idea of the forum is to engage ordinary South Africans in getting past the normal stories that we say about what's happening here and to question our own assumptions, some of which are racist, some of which are deep-seated, some of which are fear-based. And the, the way these forums are organized is that participants get a chance to really voice what they say and leave with something that's changed in them in terms of the conversation. The forum will let ordinary South Africans see and talk and engage about what xenophobia means to them. Our stance has always been that uh, this is deeper than simply the xenophobic attacks. Recapping the top stories, armed groups in the Central African Republic sign a deal to disarm. Rights group release a new report on migrants in Libya facing cruelty and abuse. And East African leaders are set to meet to try and break a political deadlock in Burundi. Well, thank you for joining us and thank you to Anne Musa for that news update. The time right now is six minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Just a reminder that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And remember that you can interact with us here on the program and you can find us on Twitter at African Dialogue or also at African or at Channel Africa rather one. That's at Channel Africa one. Now, Cape Town, South Africa will host the global meeting which brings up to 5,000 power and utility professionals under one roof. Not only will the delegates come from the African continent, but it will also enable them to interact with experts from outside Africa. The 15th annual African Utility Week and Clean Power Africa is the largest utilities conference and exhibition, which explores business opportunities and also features trade shows, power exhibitions, amongst other activities there. Now, to help us look at this uh, Africa Utility uh, particular conference, we have on the line Nicolette Pombo-Fanzel, who's the program advisor for the annual African Utility Week and the editor of ESI Africa, a magazine specializing in the energy industry. Nicolette, thank you for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me on your show. Great. Uh, let's look at this particular week and let's look at the exhibition and the conference itself. What is the real focus of the annual African Utility Week and what can we expect from delegates this year? Uh, African Utility Week is in its 15th year, and every single year it grows bigger and bigger, bringing delegations from various African countries as well as from the global market. Um, Each year we look at a different focus, and through extensive research, uh, which was hosted in Nairobi, Lagos, Johannesburg, and Cape Town, uh, we came to the decision that for this year we're looking at investment in a very big way. So with the keynote opening session on tomorrow morning, we're looking at Africa is open for business, investing in Africa, the hottest frontier. Uh, 
Uh, and then on Wednesday, we have another keynote session which uh, looks at uh, delivering energy solutions for African economies. So we, we're really looking at a broader aspect, not just utilities, but economies as well. Uh, looking at regional power pools, uh, we look at uh, the regulation, policy, uh, investment, whether it be from uh, Africa itself or from global markets. I think it's also interesting that this year you're looking at that particular element because it's been a really huge drive by the African Union to look at how uh, different regions can work together in terms of uh, energy. Why that particular aspect of investment and finding solutions in some of the challenges on the continent in terms of energy and utilities? Well, uh, on the the program, we've got uh, a big delegation from the United States uh, specifically Power Africa. And I'm sure that most people have heard about the Power Africa initiative where they want to expand rural electri- electrification through uh, renewable energies. Uh, what they do is to look at how they can um, get private investment uh, as well as uh, from the, the development banks to look at these projects that are on the go and evaluate where are the risks and that is something that is really at the top most of everybody's mind, the risk factor of having projects in rural Africa. And we really need to look at different types of investments, not just the normal investments uh, that are coming through. So looking at five years from now, what will the investment sector look like uh, in Africa? Also interesting, Let's, I want to come back to the conference itself because it's very unique in terms of uh, what it offers. Um, what are the main attractions for this particular uh, Africa Utility Week conference? I mean, year after year, people keep coming back. I mean, here we hear that this year 5,000 uh, professionals are coming back under one roof. Uh, what is the main attraction about this particular uh, conference? I think that the main attraction for everybody is that it has become the meeting space for the utility sector where everybody can come together and really focus on what are the key challenges that they are coming up against. At African Utility Week, there are various tracks that look at, for instance, metering. We look at water utilities, uh, large power users. Finance is a very big um, market at the moment. Uh, Transmission and distribution distribution as well as smart grids, um, generation, and that's not just um, your coal and nuclear and gas. We're also looking at uh, the renewables, hydro, um, solar, wind, biomass, geothermal. So we cover the full spectrum. So this is the one place where the whole sector can come together and really meet, discuss, uh, get in-depth knowledge on what it is that uh, we're going to be looking at going forward. So I believe that each year, Delegates really do take away uh, impactful knowledge with them back to their, their, um, their offices and they grow from that. Nicolette, I mean, you, you work as an editor at the ESI Africa, this magazine that's specializing on the energy industry. Looking at uh, this particular exhibition and looking at, let's, let's move away a little bit from the exhibition I'd like to to a little bit, in terms of African challenges, in terms of energy, what have been the trends for you right now in terms of challenges and have we seen a certain kind of leadership from uh, the private industry and also African governments to deal with those challenges? I know it's a double question there. <laughs> uh, I do believe that uh, there has been a change in the market. Um, 
is specifically looking at the renewable sector. However, um, looking at your base load energy, nuclear is on the cards for South Africa. Uh, We're looking at 9,600 megawatts coming on board. Uh, Whether that happens uh, in the next five years or 15 years, it is something that will definitely happen. Then there's also talk around shale gas. And I know that that is a very uh, emotive topic as well, Um, you know, whether we will go that route. Um, I think that gas is in the pipeline, if I can say that. Uh, Whether it is shale gas is is another thing, Uh, but it is being discussed. Uh, Then also looking at uh, the wonderful um, renewable um, IPP program that we have in South Africa. Uh, That has been a benchmark for other African countries, and that's also going to be a key focus on the program. Uh, We were very lucky to have Karen Breitenbach speaking on the program around that renewable energies program and the way forward. Because with each um, renewable round, uh, there's been challenges that they have found solutions for. So it's a growing uh, and and innovative market at the moment. It's very exciting. Um, On the exhibition floor at the African Utility Week, we have approximately 250 or more exhibitors looking at the various uh, sectors in the market. So whether it is looking at uh, transformer oil or uh, looking at um, uh, transmission networks or CRM programs um, or looking at billing, uh, water utilities, uh, treatment, uh, anything that is related to the work that is being done on the ground. Uh, these exhibitors are going to be promoting some wonderful, innovative uh, new solutions and technologies. Uh, I can just say that um, uh, African Utility Week's uh, diamond sponsor, DNVGL, uh, are going to be announcing some wonderful things on the exhibition floor as well. And Accenture, uh, Building Energy, Morelli Matori, um, uh, Edison Power Group, all platinum sponsors there that are, are looking at new ways to enter the market. Very interesting. And also, uh, what also interests me about the Africa Utility Week is that actually brings stakeholders from different parts of the energy industry and utilities and also kind of enables them to collaborate and can create some great partnerships. Now, looking at uh, the uh, history of the Africa Utility Week, have we seen any great partnerships in the past that have led to some great projects? Uh, We definitely have. Um, If you look at last year, uh, the Southern African Power Pool uh, played a very big part in African Utility Week, and from that, discussions uh, did develop in terms of uh, regional transformation, uh, looking specifically at the um, uh, regional power pool and the transmission networks that are going to be going through the various countries and what really needs to take place in terms of regulation and policy to get that off the ground. Uh, For this year, we have some wonderful speakers uh, coming from uh, Zimbabwe, Kenya, um, from Sweden, from Brazil. Um, And you know that Brazil's market, uh, you know, reflects very much uh, what we are uh, experiencing as well. So looking at um, what they have done through a case study, Uh, It's definitely something that people can learn from. Uh, We've got a delegation of ministers that are also coming through to the show uh, from uh, Namibia, South Sudan, uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Madagascar, um, uh, Ghana. Uh, So you see that the show grows each year and people get to hear about it and know that this is the place where they can come and meet with the the different parties that they uh, want to collaborate with.
Fantastic. Sounds like a real great party in terms of the energy industry indeed. Uh, but there, gonna... will, there will definitely be some parties going on. <laughs> well, stay with us, uh, Nicolette. Uh, we'll come back to you. Just kind of take a quick break. I'm speaking to Nicolette Pombo-Fanzel, who is the Program Advisor for the Annual African Utility Week and editor of ESI Africa, a magazine specializing in the energy industry. And today we're spotlighting the Africa Utility Week, which is actually going to be starting tomorrow, where it's going to have about uh, 5,000 power and utility professionals under one roof and it's said to be one of the biggest um, uh, conferences on the continent in this regard. But let's take a quick break. The time right now is almost 17 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. This month has been declared We Are Africa Month with the theme Opening the Doors of Learning and Culture from Cape to Cairo. Channel Africa strongly supports the project and will keep you abreast of events. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. Or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, this is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and today we're looking at Africa Utility Week. We know it's going to be one of the biggest gatherings to take place in Cape Town. It's going to bring about 5,000 professionals that are very much involved in the utility and energy field, and a lot of exciting moments in terms of uh, what is happening in this industry and there's a lot of challenges that's why it's also exciting because people have to come up with solutions and as a continent we can't say hey we've got this big challenge when it comes to energy hey it's time we meet find out ways and how we can actually move around these uh, particular aspects have we heard from Nicolette Pombo-Fanzel who's speaking to us about this particular Africa Utility Week today or this week they will be uh, really looking at investment finding out solutions we know that there's a really emphasis on the continent on uh, finding out how we can create a regional power pool in order to solve some of the energy uh, problems that we have on the continent. Now, Nicolette, uh, coming back to you, in terms of looking at the utilities um, perspective, I know in South Africa we've been seeing some uh, protests in southwestern townships of Johannesburg where people are really protesting action against this new metering technology uh, which they think will be expensive. There's kind of misconceptions around that when it comes to those areas and peripheries of energy in terms of looking at those kind of issues of new metering technologies uh, what what is happening in that regard is smart metering going to be a feature in the discussions this year absolutely um smart metering is something that is not only being 
looked at in South Africa. Other African countries are also looking at smart metering. And just uh, to clarify what a smart meter really is, um, you're looking at different types of technology. So whether the meter itself can um, read both ways or if it's just a one-way reading, um, and also looking at um, demand-side management through those meters, um, billing to allow the utility to uh, receive their revenue that they should be receiving so that they can then invest in more infrastructure. Uh, so everybody benefits at the end of the day. And there is always um, resistance to change. And I think it is a case of communicating exactly what that meter uh, is all about how it's going to assist them, how it will assist the utility, how they will be able to communicate with the utility through this. Uh, you know, it's all about knowledge empowerment, empowering people. So it will eventually, I think, settle down, well, I hope so, and that the, the meters will be uh, implemented. Uh, it's also been um, uh, implemented in um, Zimbabwe. We spoke about that last year. Um, it's been implemented in um, places like Nairobi. So um, it's not just a South African issue. Um, I also think that um, when we have the case study from Brazil, we will also look at how they implemented these smart meters. Um, and looking at the South African problem that we have at the moment with the, these extensive load sheddings, um, I just want to mention that we have a collaborating partner on board with African Utility Week, and that is SAMA. It's the um, South African Asset Management Association. And they're going to be um, uh, hosting their own uh, show alongside ours, looking specifically at um, asset maintenance. Uh, and as you know, in the news, there's been a lot around uh, the ESCOM's um, uh, infrastructure maintenance program. Uh, and how it is that it was, you know, left behind uh, the planning. Um, so that is something that's going to be an issue that will be addressed at the at the conference. Well, sounds very interesting. Now joining us on the line is uh, Malusi Maposa, who's an engineer at Accenture Smart Grid Services. Thank you for joining us, Malusi. Good day. Thank you, and thank you to your listeners. Fantastic. Now, Melissa, tell us a little bit about Accenture Smart Grid Services. What kind of work do you do there? Um, so we've been in the smart grid sector, at least in South Africa, uh, since about 2006. Uh, essentially, for us, smart grid comprises uh, four elements. The most commonly known and referred to is advanced metering infrastructure, or sometimes called colloquially as smart metering. Um, the second part of that is around grid operations, grid optimization, which includes things like outage management, distribution management. The third component of it is around asset management. So that would encompass everything from asset investment planning, asset maintenance strategy, asset operations, uh, through to retirement and disposal of assets. The fourth component of our smart grid uh, services capability is what is commonly referred to as digital workforce management. So it's capabilities around the optimization in the assignment, the routing, and the prioritization of faults and incidents that could occur on the grid, and therefore balancing the workforce resource against that. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, we were just on that conversation with Nicolette in terms of speaking about just how effective smart metering is. And, you know, there are misconceptions around it. We know that we're seeing protests currently in in different townships in Johannesburg uh, in terms of that. But do you think that uh, we've actually uh, utilized smart metering in, in the best way in South Africa and maybe the rest of the continent? Look, um, smart metering has been with us in South Africa intensively for the last seven to eight years. I think ESCOM did the initial pilot around about 2006-2007, of which we are part of. I think like any technology, um, part of the success of it is beyond just the capability of the technology. It really depends on the human socialization and community participation that goes with the deployment and the utilization of the technology. So to really get um, technology like smart metering working, um, a lot of community participation and involvement, uh, education is required to ensure there's an understanding of what is it that the community will benefit from the deployment of smart meters. I think the reason that you see a lot of social protest is because it is seen as taking away uh, I guess the ability of people not to pay for services they have consumed. Um, and I think you, we need to find as an industry uh, a trade-off between what we uh, give and what we take away. So there needs to be some other, I guess, benefits that are put to consumers as a result of them participating in smart metering schemes. And staying with you, uh, Melusi, because I think this is an interesting aspect of things. In terms of uh, uh, smart technology, you were speaking about uh, creating a certain type of digital workforce. In terms of also the the digital aspects and and the technology that we're moving with the times right now, when you're looking at advanced economies like South Africa, do you still we're on par? Do you think we're on par with the rest of the world in terms of where we are in terms of technology? I think where we are in South Africa is we have the opportunity to leapfrog the traditional development model of an energy ecosystem. Um, there are developments and advances in technology. I think one of those is something very interesting that Elon Musk um, launched a couple of weeks ago, which is around storage solutions for consumers. Now, if you look at where we are in South Africa, it's generally very expensive and fairly long-term to have national grid-type deployments and development. But there is lots of advances that is happening in the consumer space, that is happening in commercial and industrial consumer areas that can contribute to developments in the grid, which we can actually therefore leapfrog some normal development steps. Let me come back to you, Nicolette, in terms of that kind of aspect that uh, uh, is highlighting, because he brings kind of me to my next question in terms of, of knowledge and understanding where we are as an international or global world, which is really, really we're becoming more globalized in terms of um, uh, product knowledge and where we should be in terms of the industry. Do you think we, where we're supposed to be as a continent in understanding how we're supposed to be moving forward with infrastructure and technology? I think that in terms of technology, a lot of the international um, innovations that are coming to the fore are not really transferable to Africa, um, and we really need to look at taking those technologies and making them uh, applicable for the situations that we have here. 
and I think that is sometimes one of the problems that we do have. However, a lot of the um, companies that are putting these packages together do look at what are the circumstances that we are going into. Just looking at, for instance, renewable energy, a lot of the uh, solar PV panels that are implemented in uh, the Northern Hemisphere in Europe uh, come, uh, cannot be uh, put in place here in South Africa because we have a different radiance here for, in terms of the, the sun's um, impact. So we really need to take that, those technologies and define what it is that we need and then implement them. And I think that in terms of regulation, we have the same thing. You cannot just take a regulation that works in one country and transfer it to another country. Um, so that is the, the, the conversations that we are having on site as well. A very important aspect there, Nicolette, and I want to take that back to Melusi in terms of maybe we should have Africans creating uh, the African solutions themselves. Your view there, Melusi? Um, I buy into what Nicolette is saying. I mean, the, the thing with technology um, is a lot of it, I mean, whether you're looking at cars or you're looking at televisions or anything else, there is always a component of localization. But I think the key thing is uh, Africa as a continent is better placed when we leverage off the investment and the learning that goes into coming up with some of these technologies. I think there are opportunities, obviously, where we can be creative and come up with um, local homegrown solutions, but the path is shorter if you can cut out all the work that goes into the R&D, the investment, and the human capital, and we focus more on application and exploitation of the technology that has been pre-built and tested elsewhere. I think that is an easier path to success on a larger scale um, than trying to innovate everything from ground up. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I have on the line uh, Melusi Maposa, who's an engineer at Accenture Smart Grid Services, as well as Nicolette Pombo van Zell, who's the program advisor for the annual Africa Utility Week and editor of ESI Africa, a magazine specializing in the energy industry. We're looking at uh, the Africa Utility Week, which starts tomorrow, which is going to bring about 5,000. I keep saying this because it's, it still boggles my mind how you're going to get everyone into that particular uh, center but there's going to be uh, 5,000 power and utility professionals under one roof really discussing some of the issues that we're highlighting and when we come back I want to look at that particular aspect that I was discussing with uh, Nicolette and maybe uh, Melusi can kind of uh, uh, really give us his insights on that on the issue of investment and solutions in terms of finding solutions in terms of uh, a regional power pool where we can actually work together as a continent in in regions Uh, but we'll come back to that just a reminder you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. You are listening to African Dialogue. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. 
We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And uh, thank you for joining us if you're listening to us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today we're looking at Africa Utility Week. We were actually speaking to uh, uh, some of our guests last year, I think, and uh, really looking at this particular week. But I want to come back to this issue of uh, regional power pool creating a more collaborative effort to fight some of the challenges that we're having when it comes to the energy industry. Well, Lucy, what's your view there in terms of a, a regional collaborate, collaborative effort by governments and maybe the private sector? Uh, look, I think um, given where Southern Africa is particularly, I think collaboration is the way to go. If you look at the size disparity in the economies, one of the challenges why you do not have a very large-scale anything over, let's say, 10 gigawatt-sized power plants going up in the rest of Africa, is you need a, a large economy the size of South Africa to actually guarantee consumption of that particular output. So if anybody is going to um, build the hydro capacity, uh, hydro then in the DRC, you do need other countries around the DRC to guarantee uptake of that consumption. It's too big for local consumption by the DRC. So that does lend itself to areas of regional participation and collaboration. Um, It's also an opportunity, I think, to pull the investment capital required. I think if you look at what has gone into the large plants in South Africa, it's quite taxing on an economy. Uh, And if it is that taxing on an economy the size of South Africa, you can imagine what it would be on a country the size of Zambia or Zimbabwe or Malawi or Mozambique. So I think power is one of those areas where there is opportunities to partner and to collaborate on a regional scale, both in the investment that goes into setting up these uh, generation capacities, but also to guarantee, I guess, consumption of output eventually, which is basically the required investment uh, return on investment. Because it's also interesting, it seems like uh, you could do this from a very much governmental uh, country-to-country basis, but another tricky part, Nicolette, is how do you actually have the same uh, spirit or the same kind of uh, system or initiatives taking place in the private sector where you're just not working in your own country but you're working in various countries. How do you think we can create that kind of a system within the private sector itself? I'm sure things like the African Utility Week help with that. Absolutely. This is the place where uh, each sector comes together. When I say sector, I'm talking about uh, distribution, transmission, generation, the renewable energies, the metering factor, uh, the water factor as well, Uh, coming together and talking about all of these issues and looking at how countries can collaborate with each other. If you take, for instance, a a country like Rwanda, which is uh, very small, um, and the capacity that they want to build in order to promote uh, manufacturing and industry within their country. 
they will be um, uh, have, they will have a capacity that far exceeds what they actually need. So they will then um, sell that capacity to, to their, their neighbouring uh, countries, and that's the kind of collaboration that must be happening. However, um, when you put the, the, the generation projects in in place, uh, the, the type of investment that is needed, we need to look at what are the various risks as well. So, for instance, if you look at geothermal, it's a very, very risky type of technology. However, once it is in place, uh, it can generate for many, many years to come and the amount of capacity that they are looking at. Um, so these are the, the different things that we're going to be discussing. And we're not only looking at uh, investment um, uh, in terms of coming up from outside of South Africa, we are looking at investment from uh, within our, our own region. So we're looking at um, uh, the, the different uh, vendor companies that can uh, basically get involved on a much greater level. Skills development from their side, uh, looking at uh, building, owning, operating, and then transferring that uh, technology. So these are various things that we will be discussing at, at the conference. And I just want to um, bring back to something that we mentioned about how are you going to bring these 5,000 people together? And that takes quite a bit of um, logistical work, uh, which is what we, we're very good at doing uh, since we've been going for 15 years. And it runs so smoothly. And I think that everybody that does attend the exhibition as well as the conference is going to have a very enjoyable time. Uh, and there are some networking that it will be taking place in the evenings. Uh, there's breakfasts that are taking place um, first thing in the morning. So there are various things that uh, you know people can attend and not just the conference track. Yeah, very cool. And I think that you guys have a lot of manpower to make that uh, happen. And I think that's very impressive indeed. Uh, but looking at the whole issue, and, and another challenge that I want to look at is, is procurement policies on the continent and creating a form of transparency in projects. Uh, Nicola, is, also, is that something that also is going to be dealt with? Because I'm sure that uh, red tape issues also are sometimes hindering progress, fast progress in the energy industry. That is something we will address on the on the conference program in terms of customer engagement. Uh, that is something that uh, it, it's very a very big issue, and I think that a lot of the, um, people in the, in the um, public sector forget that they are also delivering a service to customers, and that that engagement needs to uh, progress uh, to a two-way conversation. Let me take that to you, Melusi Mapos, in terms of that issue of uh, procurement policies, transparency, sometimes the red tape that goes into some of these project, energy projects. Uh, what's the challenge there in that regard? And, and what do we need to do to make things easier for uh, fast-tracking some projects? Okay, just, um, just to mention, by the way, uh, you are talking of initial of the logistics of getting delegates here. Uh, I actually am already at um, the Cape Town Convention Center getting set up for the event of tomorrow, so I'm one of the 5,000, but I'm here already. Uh, but to your question, uh, there is a track that's been introduced into Africa Utility UPC, which is a finance and investment track, and it's really to look at that particular uh, question in terms of how to promote and to expedite large-scale investment while also preserving and observing public procurement processes. I think we need to be mindful that, by and large, investments that are going to this place are very large investments. They often require some element of treasury, of DTI, of international relations, 
in involvement in the process because they do have a material impact on a country's GDP, on a country's balance of payment position. So those will never be speedy transactions. I think we have to accept that there is a lot of scrutiny that has to go into these kind of transactions. And what sometimes seems to be a very slow process is in fact required to ensure that there is adequate participation, consultation, and also review of the rigor, the openness, and the fairness of the process. I think, yes, there's a desire that we would like to see procurement happen a lot faster, especially in public sector areas, but it's also, I think, a safeguard in a lot of economies that these processes are inherently slow. So I'm not sure if that's the answer you're expecting to hear, but I, I think that we need to accept that when you are involved in a very large-scale public procurement process, inherently it will be slow. I think the key thing is that the processes are transparent, they are consistent, uh, and therefore provide certainty to the investing um, community. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with you, uh, uh, Nicolette, in terms of let's look at the program itself. What can we look forward to in terms of the week itself? Uh, on the program, uh, the things that uh, I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure that a, a lot of other people will be, um, are the two uh, regional um, breakfasts that we are, are hosting, uh, one on Wednesday morning and one on Thursday morning, uh, looking uh, specifically at Madagascar and at um, uh, Ghana. So those are the two that, 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 that I'm very interested in. And then, of course, we have the Industry Awards Gala Dinner, which takes place on Wednesday uh, evening, where we look at um, uh, the, the people that have really uh, come to the fore during the past year um, for African uh, Utility Executive of the Year, African Power Utility of the Year. Um, we also look at the, the Clean Power Projects of the Year, um, municipality of the Year for South Africa specifically, uh, and the African uh, Water Utility of the Year. And then, of course, we, um, uh, we are looking at the um, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, those people that have been in the industry for so many years and have dedicated their lives to the progress that we are now seeing today. Uh, there's also something new on the cards, and that is looking at... Um, specifically um, a woman in energy, uh, which is also something that ESI Africa is now focusing on uh, and looking at promoting uh, women and, and their advancement in this particular sector. Uh, then also on the program, uh, which is going to be a very big focus, is the um, uh, finance track. And I think uh, uh, it's going to be a jam-packed room for that, that specific one. Um, but, of course, all of the... the various tracks, and there, there are eight tracks at the, the conference, are going to be very full. So I think that people should come through uh, quite early and register for the specific tracks that they want to be on. Um, and then lastly, um, on the Friday, we end off with site visits, where we go out to uh, particular sites of interest uh, to the sector and get some hands-on knowledge. Uh, one of them will be to uh, Kuberg's uh, nuclear power generation plant. Uh, we're also looking at a backyardist program uh, there in specific. That is where we've got people that are living in the backyards of municipal properties 
and how we've been able to deliver uh, municipal services to them, uh, electricity, water, sanitation. Uh, we're also looking at uh, um, going through to Saratech, which is looking at training and development in the renewables market. So it's all very exciting from Tuesday right through to Friday. Sounds very exciting indeed. So I want to thank you, Nicolette Pombo van Zell. Uh, she is the program advisor for the annual African Utility Week and editor of ESI Africa, as I've been mentioning. That is a magazine that uh, looks at the energy industry. Also, want to thank Malusma Posa, who's already setting up there at uh, the CTI or the Convention Center in Cape Town. Uh, he is an engineer at the Accenture Smart Grid Services. Thank you uh, for you both joining us here on the program. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now that's how we wrap it up. Let's take a quick break before we come back with our economics update. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. I'm an African from South Africa. I say no to xenophobia. Let's unite, Africa. Kenna Elizabeth. Mo Africa wa go tswa go la province ya Limpopo mo Africa borwa ke ganana le dihlaselo tsa badudi ba dinaga dishele e le go xenophobia let's unite africa Jina langu naitwa Michael Arere Mimi ni Mwafrika kutoka Uganda. Siungi mkono chuki dhidi ya wageni. Afrika tuungane pamoja. Je m'appelle Jacques. Je suis un Africain de Côte d'Ivoire. Je dis non à la xénophobie. Restons unis, Africains. Ek is Janine, ek praat Afrikaans. Kom ons staan saam en sê nee vir xenophobia. Let's unite Africa. Now let's move on and get our economics news. So we sign in Matebula standing by. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. Botswana's grocery retailer, Chopis, plans to raise $48 million in a secondary listing onto the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, seeking to boost its profile among investors in Africa's largest and most liquid stock market. Chopis, which runs 125 stores in its home market, South Africa and Zimbabwe, will list the shares on May 27. Under the offering to selected institutional investors in South Africa and Botswana, the company will sell 117.4 million new shares along with 160 million from existing shareholders. The offer price for each share will be determined in a book-built process run by First Rent's investment bank unit, the Rand Merchant Bank. 
Anglo Gold Ashanti Limited, which is Africa's top bullion producer, swung to a quarterly profit as robust performance in its international operations offset lower South African production due to power shortages and safety stoppages. Anglo Gold says adjusted headline earnings per share was 9 US cents per share from a loss of 29 cents in the three months to end December and a profit of 29 cents in the same period last year. The company says it benefited from lower oil prices in the African continent, in Australia, and also weak currencies in South Africa, Brazil, and Australia. Fuel shortages are set to worsen in Nigeria as international traders and local marketers back away from imports. This over fears that the cash-strapped new government will halt costly subsidy payments. Already, the line said petrol stations in major cities are blocking traffic as Africa's largest crude exporter runs out of domestic fuels. The shortage in some rural areas is even more acute due to a payment battle between independent retailers and the Nigerian government. And the Aviation Africa 2015 conference and exhibition is underway in Dubai. The conference is attended by high-level industry guests. The associated exhibition features up to 40 companies showcasing the latest technologies and services to help develop and invest in the future of the industry in Africa. Aviation Africa 2015 provides connectivity as it's about people doing business, products, moving to new markets, investment and new opportunities being discussed and discovered. Let's look now at your financial indicators. The dollar at 11.90, South African rands at 9.58, Botswana Pula at 7.34, Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.65 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro commodities. Gold $1,188, platinum $1,136. Finance, Brent crude oil is at $65.37 per barrel. That's how it's looking at this hour. Back in an hour's time with another update. Thank you very much, we Sunny. Now standing by is Zafir Lingwati. He'll give us our sports. In our sports update this hour, we're starting off with uh, marathon and athletics. Haley Gebre Silasi has announced his retirement from competitive running. The 42-year-old Ethiopian confirmed his decision after finishing 16th in the Great Manchester Run yesterday. Of course, you know, just, this is the right place you know, just to stop running. You know, for me, uh, I've been here many times. Look at you know, just the atmosphere. This is Manchester. And, you know, this is uh, organized by, you know, all those friends, you know, like uh, Brandon and others. I'm so happy to stop here. And in football news, the South African football community has been rocked by the death of football fan after Chippa United's 2-0 loss to upset Premiership champions Kaiser Chiefs at Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium in Port Elizabeth. Police are still investigating more details about the death of this fan who is believed to be from Cape Town and had come to celebrate Chiefs League triumph. 
According to a media report, the deceased was killed after a corpse gun went off during a scuffle between the two. The tragic incident occurred during the pitch invasion as the Premier Soccer League was preparing to hand over the trophy to Chiefs. League CEO Brand de Villiers. I just want to inform uh, the uh, media um, that of the untimely death of one of the uh, spectators today. It's a sad uh, occurrence and it's a really, uh, you know, a tragic occurrence that something like that happened on a joyous day like this. So uh, currently the instance has been investigated by the police and further details will be distributed by the police in the future. No, I mean, currently it's under investigation, as I said, uh, by the police, you know, and any speculation would not be, uh, you know, good from our side. No, it's, it was an incident uh, at, towards the end of the uh, match, after the match. And in basketball, South African Wheelchair Basketball Series was at last launch in this weekend's amid financial constraint that nearly put knockout games out of schedule for this year. Six South African franchise wheelchair basketball teams will spearhead the challenge at this year's preseason wheelchair basketball series that will kick off at the end of this month at the Vodacom Mandeville Indoor Center north of Johannesburg. Wheelchair Basketball South Africa, WBSA Director of Operations, Charles Saunders, explains what lies ahead. A very slow start to the beginning of the year. Um, always finances have always plagued wheelchair basketball in the sense that uh, we need to apply for government finances before we can run many of our programs. But nevertheless, we are on our way and we are in preparation um, for Algeria, which is the, which is the Paralympic, uh, which is equivalent to the Olympic uh, qualifications and this will take place in uh, November in Algeria and the South African men and South African women's team for the first time ever in the history of Africa will compete in this competition. In rugby news, the Springbok Sevens team lost their overall HSBC Sevens World Series lead to Fiji in Glasgow after only managing in winning the plate final of Scotland Sevens at Scotstown Stadium. South Africa, who had a four-point lead on Fiji coming into the penultimate tournament of the series, suffered a 15-0 defeat against the Pacific Islanders team in the Cup quarterfinals in the first match. The defeat pushed them into the plate section, where wins over Australia 21-12 and Scotland 12-10 resulted in them winning that competition and 13 tournament points. Fiji went on to win the final and overhauled South Africa and now lead them by five with the last tournament on the 2014-2015 series being played at Twickenham in London next weekend. Finally, with tennis news, Andy Murray continued his remarkable run on clay when he dethroned home favorite Rafael Nadal, 6-3 and 6-2, in the Madrid Masters final on Sunday. Catherine Whitaker tells us how the match unfolded. Even in his wildest dreams, Andy Murray wouldn't have imagined winning his first ATP Masters 1000 title on clay in quite the fashion he did to. The Scotsman absolutely dismantled Rafael Nadal on his home turf, 6-3, 6-2, to lift the Mutual Madrid Open title. Murray came out firing for the final, hitting the ball deep, hitting it hard and denying Nadal any opportunity to get a foothold in the match. After racing to a three-love first-eight lead, the tone was set and Murray's stranglehold on the match did not loosen for a moment. Doubtless Nadal was well below par. The match was littered with uncharacteristic errors off both wings. But Murray mustn't be denied credit. He was superb and deserves now to be considered a major contender at Roland Garros. That's your Sport News this hour.
Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can interact with us. We've got a Facebook page called Channel Africa. Or go to our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. Tweet us at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. Or you can simply let us know what you think of our programming by SMSing us your views on plus 27 823 That's plus 27 823 From me, Benjamin Moshatama. Until tomorrow, God bless.